And then we saw last week, as our king, Jesus makes us special. Okay? And so in this passage that we're going to see today, we're going to see that as a revolutionary king, Jesus also, next slide, includes everyone. Okay? Jesus includes everyone. And so what we're going to be looking at, there are three miracle stories in the passage. Okay? There's three stories, three different stories about Jesus' power, um, but what they have in common are the kinds of people who are blessed by Jesus' power. Okay, I want you to notice as we read this who the people are and where they are as we read Mark 7, verse 24, through chapter 8, verse 9. And um, before we read it, let me just give you a quick outline on the next slide. We're going to see first that Jesus heals the woman's daughter, then Jesus heals the deaf and mute man, and then Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And I'm going to draw your attention as we read and tell you to circle some things just so you don't miss out on why Mark. Because Jesus does all these miracles, and in some ways we've already seen these miracles. And yet Mark feels this compulsion to tell us again about these new miracle stories that aren't new because we've seen them. But the difference is who. The difference is who. And so with that, read with me now from God's word, Mark 7, verses 24 to chapter 8, verse 9. This is God's word. And from there he, this is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So if you have a pencil, just circle Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came down and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Okay, circle Gentile Syrophoenician. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. You can circle Tyre and Sidon again. um, To the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Circle Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. 
And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to, be, to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. This is God's word. And so what I want you to see, if you, if you circled them as we went along, verse 24 of chapter 7, Tyre and Sidon. You see in verse 26, the Gentile, the Syrophoenician by birth. And then in verse 31, you have Sidon and the Decapolis. Okay? What's important is that all of these regions are regions where non-Jewish people lived. Okay, these are Gentile regions. Back then, if you were a Jew, you would say, hey, there's two kinds of people. There are Jews, and then there's everyone else. Okay, there's Jews, and we just call everybody else Gentiles. And so these people that Jesus is doing miracles for, they are Gentiles. They live in Gentile areas. They are Gentiles. They're non-Jewish folks. And many are outside of the promised land where God's special presence was. Okay? Now, it's important to understand, and you see this as you read the Gospels, that back then, the Jews thought they were better than every other nation. They thought they were better than all of the Gentiles. They thought, we are God's chosen people, we are special, we are holy, everyone else is defiled and unclean. Um, that was their rationale. That's what they thought about everybody else. Um, there are times when churches can act like this, Right? People who say, well, I'm Christian, you're not. Um, people talk about everyone else who's not Christian in ways that are kind of demeaning and really sort of make it sound like the church thinks that it's better than everyone else. Um, the Jews didn't realize back then that their chosen status, they were God's chosen people. God chose them and made them into a nation and had a special relationship with them. They didn't realize that their chosen status meant that they had a divine purpose to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Right? That was the function. All of God's blessings are designed not only to make us happy, satisfied, fulfilled, um, but they're designed, like all of God's blessings come to fill up our cup so it overflows, but then his blessings come with a handle and a spout so that our cups become pitchers, so that we can pour those blessings into others. Um, the Jews didn't understand that. I think we don't often understand that, but Mark did, and so did Jesus. Um, Jesus does these miracles that he's done before, but now he's doing these miracles for non-Jews. That's the significance of these three stories. He's doing them for these non-Jewish people because he wants them to know that God's family includes every race, every nationality, just like Chad said from Revelation 7, right? It's every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus includes everyone. And there's a progression that we're going to see as we look at these three stories, okay? The first we're going to see on the next slide, if you want to take notes, this is point number one. Jesus takes pets, okay? Jesus takes pets. Um, 
if you were paying attention, you may have been offended by Jesus in this passage when I read it. Um, I have been offended by this passage. This week, again, I was wrestling with the offensiveness of the way that this passage comes across. So if you felt offended, you're not alone. Um, Let's dive into this. Uh, We see in verse 24 that Jesus is actually trying to get away. Okay, from there he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon and he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know. And so this is Jesus who is exhausted from ministry. This is Jesus who has been pouring his life out for people and he decides, you know what, I need to get away. This was something that Jesus did frequently in his ministry. He actually stopped doing stuff and he got away. He got away to spend time alone with God. I mean, if Jesus needed to do that, friends, so do we. So do we. Um, And so he's trying to get away. He did this to get away, to get alone with God. Sometimes also, he wanted to pull his disciples away from the crowds and teach them things more deeply, explain the things to them more fully. And so this is Jesus trying to get away, but the demands of people and the responsibilities that he has chase chase him into his time away. Anybody relate to that? (laughs) Right? How often do you try, okay, I'm going to get away. I'm going to take a day off. Lord, I'm going to try to observe the Sabbath, right? I'm going to try to take this day off. Or I'm going to go on vacation, and yet then the email comes. Then the emergency happens. Then your phone rings, right? Jesus understands what it's like. Um, And there are, I mean, this is one of these places where things that we deal with, sort of the crazy busyness of life that never, ever lets us rest, like Jesus knows what that's like. And you can find in Jesus a very human Savior who understands and wrestles with this. This woman comes to him. Um, We see in verse 25, a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came and fell down at his feet. Now, we need to understand that uh, it says in verse 26, this woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician, so she wasn't a Jew, and she lived in the area of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, now in addition to the general conflict between Jews and Gentiles, there was also political stuff going on as well. Okay, if you, do the, if you study this out, the scholars will tell you that the region of Tyre and Sidon was about 30 miles north of Galilee where Jesus was. So Jesus was in Galilee, tries to escape, sort of go up into the, you know, go up into the north, um, and there was lots of bad blood between Galilee and Tyre. Okay, because most of the crops that were grown in Galilee were actually taken and fed the people in Tyre. And Jewish peasants often went hungry. Okay, so there was some strong bitterness here. Um, The bad blood that existed between them was economic. It was oppressive. Um, And so Jesus is up there um, in this region. This woman comes who is a Gentile. She's sort of one of these people. And she comes. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, well, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, what's going on here? Is Jesus being rude? Um, Is Jesus sinning against this woman? Is Jesus lashing out at her? Um, Maybe taking some of the Gentile hatred? Because Jesus was a Gentile, no, I'm sorry, the Galilean hatred. uh, Because Jesus actually was raised in Galilee. Um, So is Jesus sort of spitting at her in this way? Um, I mean, what's odd about this is that Jesus actually doesn't have a problem healing Gentiles. 
We saw that in chapter 5. Remember when Jesus crossed over the, 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 um, the sea and he shows up and there's a demon-possessed guy who comes. He's in the Decapolis. He's in that Gentile region. Jesus didn't have a problem healing him. In fact, the promises that are in the Old Testament tell us that God designed his blessings to go to all the nations, not just to Israel. So why is Jesus treating her this way? I think the answer is that this is playful banter. Okay? I think that's what's going on here. Um, This is like a Padres fan verbally jousting with a Dodgers fan after getting swept by the Dodgers. Right? This would be like uh, Republicans or Democrats giving each other a hard time after an election. Okay? The words are biting, but they're sort of understood that, hey, we disagree about this. We have different things. Um, But I think it's playful banter. And the reason I think that is because she plays along with him. And so what we see here, this is Jesus interacting with a sharp-witted woman. This is a sharp-witted woman. And this is a woman who expresses incredible faith. She expresses incredible faith. And so next to Jesus takes pets, if, you are, um, if you're taking notes. No, no, go back. We're not ready yet for number two. But, um, but Jesus takes pets. You want to just write next to that? Um, that this woman had incredible faith. She had incredible faith because she knew who she was. She knew that she was approaching a Jewish rabbi. She knew she was approaching a Jewish rabbi who clearly had power from God. She had heard about Jesus, and so she knew that she really had no right to approach him. She had none of the religious, none of the moral, none of the cultural credentials that would be necessary to approach a Jewish rabbi. Right? She's Phoenician. She's a Gentile. She's a pagan. Even in that culture, most women didn't interact with men in public. And so, yet, her daughter has an unclean spirit. And so she is desperate. She's desperate. She doesn't take offense to what Jesus says. She doesn't stand on her rights. Um, Tim Keller translates what she says in this way. He said that basically what she says is, look, all right, I might not have a place at the table, but there is more than enough on your table for everyone in the world, and I need some of the crumbs now. And so she is wrestling with Jesus in the most respectful way, and she won't take no for an answer. This is the first person in Mark's gospel who ever heard Jesus give a parable and actually understood it. Okay? Because the crowds didn't really understand what he was saying. Even the disciples were like, Jesus, um, could you explain that thing about the sower to us? Like, we didn't really understand what you meant. Right? Nobody understands when Jesus, but she does. She does. And so she answers him actually within the parable. It's like she says, okay, if this is how you see the world, Look, I'm here with you. I am a dog. This is the only place also in the Bible where someone actually wins an argument with Jesus. And friends, what we see here, this is the faith of the gospel. This is the kind of faith that Jesus produces in people. This is where Jesus actually teaches us to say, not... Jesus, I need this not on the basis of my own goodness. Jesus, I need you to do something not because I deserve it, 
Because I don't. Jesus, you know what? If truth be told, I have spent significant portions of my life ignoring you. If the truth is going to be told, like there's all kinds of things in my own life where I don't measure up, I cannot measure up, I'm not worthy to receive what I need. And so I'm not asking you based on my goodness. I'm asking you for this, Jesus, based on your goodness. This is what the gospel teaches us we can do. We can come to Jesus without having to earn something before him. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is like, no matter if you have more sins than I do or less, and I'm guessing less, Jesus, you can go to Jesus and ask him for what you need. And if you have faith in him, your faith will turn him toward you. And what's incredible is that in some ways it seems like your faith turns Jesus, but what you'll find out afterwards is that actually he was there with you all along. And what I love here is I I love Jesus. I love this image of Jesus, right? Because Jesus doesn't get defensive. He doesn't need to be right. Jesus doesn't need to win the argument here. Instead, he delights in her faith and in the persistency of her commitment to him. You see this? She says, um, you know, yet even the dogs eat under the table, eat the children's crumbs. And he says to her, for this statement, you may go your way. Your daughter, the demon has left your daughter. He's like, all right, you win. You win. Your faith is incredible that you would hear me and reply back the way you have. You are humble. You understand that you're not worthy, and guess what? No one is, and my job actually is to bless people who know they're not worthy, because that's what I've been doing all along. So you are humble. You, are, um, you know you're honest about yourself, and you're trusting in me. You're willing to put all of your eggs in my basket. You're willing to trust me. You know what? You can have what you ask for. Man, friends, this is Jesus, and this is so different from us, isn't it? We get into arguments with people, and we got to be right. We get defensive. We get angry. We gotta, and we just, oh, we just we go down this spiral, and it actually destroys relationships. But Jesus includes everyone. And Jesus is on our side. And so if you want Jesus, one commentator said this, just like the Syrophoenician, sometimes you have to fight for him. Sometimes he may not do for you what you want. Sometimes he may say no. And Martin Luther said, Martin Luther said that Christians need to see sometimes the yes that's hidden in the no. Martin Luther said sometimes God may say no in some way to what you're asking for, but he's got something better in store for you. And don't let go. You've got to hold on to Jesus. Because if you do, he will bless you. And so Jesus includes everyone, but we see here that he requires faith. If she got pissed at him, if she got, all, if she got up on her rights and walked out on him, man, her daughter would not have been touched. But she clung to him with faith. Jesus includes everyone. Um, he takes pets. I mean, he calls her a dog and yet says, but you can be my dog. Um, the story doesn't end there. Story doesn't end there. So if you're still frustrated and offended, just hold on. Hold on. Next point. After Jesus takes pets, Jesus' pets come in community. 
Okay, this is what we see in the next section, verses 31 to 37. Um, we see this man who is deaf and mute. And one of the first things that I want you to see in this is in verse 32, it says, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. So the man didn't come on his own. The man was brought. So this man had friends who heard about Jesus and said, hey, we need to get you to him. And they brought him to Jesus. Does this remind you of anything? Remind you of any stories that we've seen already in Mark? remind you where someone can't get to Jesus but has friends who can bring him along? Yeah, this is Mark chapter 2, right? This is the paralytic um, from Mark chapter 2 who obviously couldn't get to Jesus without help and yet had four friends who literally picked him up on his bed and carried him to Jesus, right? Tried to get in, couldn't get in because the crowd was in the house. They couldn't get in, so what did they do? They climbed up on the roof and they dug a hole that was big enough for a bed to go down and to sit him at Jesus' feet. And so what we see here, this is just more of the faith of these people from Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis. These are non-Jewish people doing this stuff, friends. These are Gentiles. These are folks who have, for their whole lives, been far from God. But Jesus has given them another chance. Jesus is so extravagant in his blessings. He is so inclusive in the people that he will bless, in the people that he will accept, that they say, oh man, we got to get our buddy to him. we got to get our friend to Jesus. And so the Gentiles are acting with the great faith that the Jews had in chapter 2. That's vital. That's va- I mean, that's so important. Um, and it reminds us that all of us, we need community to get to Jesus. Okay, in my life, I think I've been a Christian for about 25 years. 25 years devoted to reading and studying the Bible, interacting with people in the church. I have met one person in 25 years who actually became a Christian, who actually learned the gospel by himself. This is a person who just was, I think he was studying for final or something, and he just had put it in his brain somehow that he should read the Bible. And so he started reading the Bible, and he began to believe. Every other person that I've met in the last 25 years, someone has had a part to play in them coming to faith, in them understanding. I mean, all of us, we have such, oh man, it's interesting the views that people have about Jesus, right? You can't get to Jesus anymore from the culture. In fact, the culture and the media will drive you far away from Jesus. You know, and all the things that could be said about the church, there's good and there's bad. Typically, what you get in the culture is all the bad stuff and never anything that's good. And so, for this deaf and mute person, he needed friends to bring him to Jesus. Friends, all of us, we need community. We cannot thrive. We cannot live on our own. God even says it's not good for people to be alone. We need community. And that's highlighted by this man who's deaf and mute. Um, They're bringing people to Jesus. I mean, they're bringing people to Jesus. And I love here again the image of Jesus. It's so different, right? I think he understood the sharp wit of the woman and sort of dealt with her at that level. You know, kind of an intellectual, playful banter words, you know. Um, But with this guy, look what he does. It's kind of mysterious. It seems a little bit cryptic and weird um, if you don't know what's going on. Uh, Verse 33, it says, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. 
It's like, okay, what's going on here? Um, I think what's happening is that what Jesus is doing is, I mean, he's taking the man aside privately. He probably doesn't want to make a spectacle of him. Maybe the man's been a spectacle all his life. When people have speech impediments, they get made fun of, right? So Jesus wants to take him aside, and he wants to deal with him. And the fingers in his ears, the spitting and the touching of the tongue. One author says this is like sign language. Like Jesus is trying to explain to the man what he's going to do to him because he can't hear him. And so Jesus is like, he's like saying, okay. And so I think he's just preparing the man for what he's going to do in a way that's very caring, that's very, I mean, who knows if his friends like rushed him in and were like, hey, you just got to come, come, come. He doesn't know what's going on. He's disoriented. Jesus sort of puts him at ease. And then he performs this miracle because this is how Jesus treats us. The Bible says he's the good shepherd and we're like sheep and he leads us and he guides us and he understands who we are. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses. He knows us deep down inside. He knows how to interact with us in a way that we will know that he loves us and he loves us personally. And I think this... um, what they say about Jesus in verse 37, like after this happens, after this miracle happens, they were astonished beyond measure. And they say, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This phrase, he has done all things well. This phrase is very, very similar to the language that's used in Genesis chapter one when God is done making the heavens and the earth. Right When all of the things were made, it's, God looks at it and he says, behold, it is very good. Right, That God has done all things well in Genesis 1 in the creation of the heavens and the earth. He made it beautiful. He made it wonderful. He made it variety. He made it color. He made life. It was teeming. Like it's very, very good. God did very well in creation. And what these Gentile people who used to be far away from God and are now coming near, they are saying that what Jesus is doing is like new creation. Jesus is building a new world, and he's including us in it. That's what the miracles are. The miracles are these pictures of the new world that Jesus has come to bring. They're commitments. They're like down payments. They're foretastes or movie trailers from God to help us know this is what the world will be like when I am fully in charge. And if you follow Jesus, you can be in on it today. This is good news. Jesus has done everything well. And I want you to see also that that Jesus, uh, the spit there, um, I mean, this is life. I think this is Jesus saying, like, my life for yours. My life for yours. He's taking his own spit, and he's touching the guy's tongue. And so you've got the one who is alive, fully alive, able to talk, touching the one who is dead in the tongue and giving him life. Friends, that's what happens. Um, That's what happens when you trust in Jesus. His life comes into you. I think that... The, the spit here maybe also is an ironic foreshadowing of what's going to happen later. 
because uh, there's coming a time when Jesus isn't going to be giving his spit out, but he's going to be spit on as he is tortured and crucified. And he goes through that also to give us his own life. Like he gave his life so that we might live. And so we see Jesus' pets, they come in community, right? They come together. We all need to be in community. And then our last point is uh, number three, is that the pets become full children, okay? And this, Mark, he's taking these stories and he's building a progression. He's giving us a narrative so that we can see what's going on. It's not just that Jesus does a miracle here and a miracle there, a miracle here and a miracle there. No, no, Jesus is presenting these stories to us because he's telling us a story of how Jesus includes everyone. And so here in chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, we see that this crowd gathered to him. They had been with him for three days listening to his teaching. And Jesus says, man, I care about these people. We can't send them away. That would be wrong. And so we need to feed them. Disciples are like, well, yeah, that'd be great. But <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because the disciples don't seem to understand it. The disciples don't really get it. And so Jesus has to sort of go through the same thing that he went through a few chapters ago when he fed the 5,000 in the land to the Jews. Now he's doing it for Gentiles. And I want you to see in verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. Okay? He told them to sit down on the ground. When they ate together, when you gathered your family to eat, you would sit down on the ground. The slaves would have to stand up along the walls or in the next room. But to have a seat at the table meant that you were family. And so what Jesus is doing with these Gentiles who are in the region of the Decapolis, again, this is still the same group of folks from verse 31, They're in the Decapolis. These are Gentiles. These people who were called dogs in chapter 7 are now being treated as sons and daughters by Jesus. That's what's going on. Now they are at the table. Jesus has them sitting down and in the most backwards, most revolutionary act, I think in this whole passage, Jesus is now serving them. You see that? I mean, this is Jesus now serving them. And the people who are closest to Jesus, the 12, the apostles, right? Jesus is serving these 4,000 people, and he is serving with the 12. So, if you want to be closer to Jesus, one of the things that you will find is that you're going to serve more and more and more and more. The closer you get, the more you serve because if the master, if our God comes to earth and serves, man, the closer we get to him, the more we're going to be like him. And so Jesus serves these people. He serves them in the almost exact same way that he served the 5,000 Jews in chapter 5. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing that in Jesus' mind, now the Jews and the Gentiles are one. Put it another way, Jesus includes everyone. There is nothing about you that should keep you from Jesus. There's a verse in the Bible that says, nothing should separate us from the love of God. Nothing, 
Nothing you've done in the past, nothing that could happen in the future could ever separate you from God because this is how he loves. This is how he loves. And and what are their qualifications? Right? These 4,000 people, what are their qualifications? They long for Jesus' teaching. They've been with him for three days. And you can't say they went for the food because they went three days without eating anything. Right? They weren't there because of what they were getting. Well, in some ways, they were getting Jesus. They were getting God on earth teaching them about real life and about the world that they live in and about how they can know God and have a relationship with him. So they're following Jesus' word. The only thing that Jesus requires is faith. And so the faith that we see in the Syrophoenician woman at the beginning, that dedicated, persistent faith that shows up again with these 4,000, this is what it is. Like, it's a persistent faith that you need to have where you hold on to Jesus for dear life. It's a faith that says yes to community, that says, yes, I can't do this on my own. I need other people in my life to help me to get there and then to turn around and help them to get there. And there needs to be a love for Jesus' word, a love and a desire to learn from him um, and to hang on his words. I mean, this happened to me a few times this week, but one time in particular, um, I was reading the Bible with, with some guys, and, um, and we were talking about Jesus, and it all just, it just sort of got to this place where we were realizing, like, living for Jesus is better than anything else. <laughs> you know, we get so, like, lost sometimes, right? We get so confused where we think that actually what will make us happy is if we can get our own way. But actually, when we serve other people and do what they want, like there's a feeling that Jesus gives us, right? There's this sense of approval that we get as we live Jesus' way that you just can't trade for, man, for all the money in the world. And that's what happens when we spend time in God's word. That's what happens when we spend time with other people talking about God's word. And so this feeding of the 4,000 means that the Syrophoenician woman, she was right. And there is plenty of food left for the Gentiles. There is plenty of food, enough to feed 4,000 people till they are full. They're not dogs anymore. Because they believe in Jesus, God treats them with all the love that he has for all of his sons and daughters. Jesus fed them, and Jesus will feed you as your faith in him grows.